0: If you're enjoying Bradbury 100, please check out my other podcast, Science Fiction 101, in which we explore the past, present and future of science fiction. Find it at 101sf.blogspot.com. And head over to YouTube to find my Bradbury 101 series, in which I look at Ray's books and movies. This is Bradbury 100, celebrating the centenary year of American writer Ray Bradbury. I'm Phil Nichols of bradburymedia.co.uk. Each week on the podcast we look at some aspect of Bradbury's life and work and interview someone who is inspired by Ray. Welcome once again to Bradbury 100. In today's show, we'll be finding out about plans to celebrate Ray Bradbury in his childhood home of Waukegan, Illinois, the basis for his fictional Green Town, the setting for Dandelion Wine and Something Wicked This Way Comes. My guest will be Sandy Petrocious, who is leading the group who are putting together the Ray Bradbury Experience Museum, a visitor attraction designed to educate and entertain And I thought this would be a good opportunity to reflect on Greentown and Waukegan. The first thing to say, I think, is that Waukegan really is Greentown. And what I mean by this is that in Dandelion Wine, when Ray describes any aspect of the town in any detail, it corresponds directly to Waukegan. Um, On my blog, I, I once posted a Google satellite view of Waukegan, alongside a sketch Bradbury once drew of the layout of Greentown, and they match almost exactly. Bradbury's sketch clearly shows uh, the ravine, that rip in the ground that cuts one part of Greentown off from another, and this corresponds exactly to the real ravine, or, or part of it, in Waukegan. Bradbury's sketch shows a particular layout of roads, mostly on a grid pattern, but with one road running diagonally. And again, this matches exactly with the real-life Glen Rock Avenue. Where Bradbury shows the location of Douglas Spaulding's house and that of his grandparents corresponds pretty well with where Bradbury actually grew up. And other landmarks, like the German church and the courthouse, all line up fairly well with the real Waukegan. So I'll say it again. Greentown really is Waukegan. Now, that's not to say, of course, that everything in Dandelion Wine is true. It is, after all, a story with quite a few fantastical elements, and it's not an autobiography. But what is true is that Bradbury held the shape of the town in his head as he was crafting his fiction. The ravine in Dandelion wine is one of the most distinctive features of Greentown's geography. This is the place where the kids play by day, but where they fear to set foot once the sun has gone down. And here is where the frightening figure of the lonely one is supposed to lurk and to prey upon passing innocence. In Dandelion Wine, we witness the atmosphere of the ravine in two major episodes. One of them is the section of the book originally published with the title The Night. And this is the one, you may recall, about young Doug Spaulding not coming home one evening, and his mother and his younger brother venturing out into the dark night, into the ravine, to seek him out. And because the story is told largely through the viewpoint of the the little brother it develops a really frightening atmosphere. But it ends well, and seeing Doug emerge out of the darkness comes as a relief, not just for Tom, but for the reader as well. Now, a few weeks ago, I took part in a marathon reading of Dandelion Wine over Zoom, and I was allocated the night to read. Now, as far as I know, it was allocated to me at random, but I was very glad to have it as my chapter, as I, I find it one of the most effective sections of the book. I, I don't know if my reading did it justice, though. Now, I said there were two major episodes in The Ravine. Well, the second one is the Lavinia Nebs story, which was first published with the title The Whole Town Sleeping. Now, to me, this one story sums up Bradbury's fictional Greentown. We go with Lavinia across town to the theatre, and we travel back with her afterwards as she takes a short cut across the ravine, which she knows full well she shouldn't do, and we know it too. And, of course, she gets pursued by the Lonely One. This is how Bradbury describes the Lonely One in Dandelion Wine. He writes, and death was the Lonely One, unseen walking and standing behind trees, waiting in the country to come in once or twice a year to this town, to these streets, to these many places where there was little light to kill one, two, three women in the past three years. That was death. But did you know that The Lonely One is also based on a real character in Waukegan? Well, sort of. There really was a criminal figure known as the Lonely One in Bradbury's childhood. Bradbury didn't know very much about the real Lonely One, and he believed that he was some sort of cat burglar who had never been caught. But in fact, I revealed the identity and the real-life fate of the Lonely One back in 2009 on my website. He was named Orville Wyant, and he was convicted of breaking into 33 business premises in 1928. He had a strange way of operating. Each time he broke in somewhere, he would apparently write three letters. He would send one to the owner of the premises, more or less apologising for the theft. The second one would go to the local newspaper, explaining how he committed the crime. And the third one he would send to the police, telling them that they needed some practice in solving crimes. And all of these letters were signed The Lonely One, and that's how the name came into popular parlance in the town. So the real-life Lonely One was something of a notorious criminal, but he was a petty thief rather than a killer. Now there's another aspect of Waukegan which is important in Bradbury's fiction, and that's the library. Waukegan today has two library buildings. One is the current public library, outside which, incidentally, is now a statue of Ray Bradbury astride a rocket ship. And the other one is the old, abandoned Carnegie Library. Now, it's this library, the disused one, that Bradbury visited in his youth when it was in full operation, And it's the inspiration for the Greentown Library in Ray's other Greentown book, Something Wicked This Way Comes. In Something Wicked, the library is a place of great hope and imagination, but it's also a place to hide, a place where Mr Dark knows to come to find the two boys, Jim Nightshade and Will Halloway. And, of course, it's the place where Will's father works. It really is the beating heart of Greentown in the book. This is how Ray describes the library when it first is mentioned in Something Wicked. They opened the door and stepped in. They stopped. The library deeps lay waiting for them. Out in the world, not much happened. But here, in the special night, a land bricked with paper and leather, anything might happen. Always did. Listen. And you heard 10,000 people screaming so high only dogs feathered their ears. A million folk ran toting cannons, sharpening guillotines. Chinese, four abreast, marched on forever. Invisible, silent, yes. But Jim and Will had the gift of ears and noses, as well as the gift of tongues. This was a factory of spices from far countries. Here alien deserts slumbered. Up front was the desk. "'where the nice old lady, Miss Watris, purple-stamped your books, "'and down off away were Tibet and Antarctica, the Congo. "'There went Miss Wills, the other librarian, through Outer Mongolia, calmly toting fragments of Peiping and Yokohama and the Celebes, "'Way down the third book corridor, "'an oldish man whispered his broom along in the dark, mounding the fallen. "'Will stared. "'It was always a surprise,' That old man, his work, his name. That's Charles William Halloway, thought Will. Not grandfather, not far-wandering ancient uncle, as some might think, but my father. Of course, almost every word Bradbury uses in this passage is metaphorical. But by doing this, he's able to present the library not as a place of just dusty old books, but as a living place the living place that it is for the two boys. In a time before the internet, of course, a library really was a place you would go to find out, well, anything and everything. There's another Bradbury story which takes place in the Greentown Library. It's called Exchange, and it was first published in Quicker Than The Eye in 1996, although it was actually written around 1948, when Ray was in his 20s, and it was unpublished for decades. Exchange deals with a soldier, a captain, who returns to town after many years away. He arrives at the library, hoping to somehow recapture some of his old memories. The old librarian is still there, and he recognises her, and she sees that he's quite desperate to reconnect with his past, and so she urges him to go to the file index drawers and look for his old borrowing cards. Here's a passage from Exchange. Come along, I've just had some late-night coffee. There may be some left. Give me your cap. Take off that coat. The file index is there. Go look up your old library cards, for the hell... heck of it. Are they still there? In a maze. Librarians save everything. You never know who's coming in on the next train. Go! When she came back with the coffee, he stood staring down into the index file, like a bird fixing its gaze on a half-empty nest he handed her one of the old purple stamped cards my god he said i took out a lot of books ten at a time i said no but you took them and she added read them here she put his cup on top of the file and waited while he drew out cancelled card after card and laughed quietly i can't believe I must not have lived anywhere else but here. May I take this with me to sit? He showed the cards. She nodded. Can you show me around? I I mean, maybe I've forgotten something. She shook her head and took his elbow. I doubt that. Come on. Over here, of course, is the adult section. Now this is a much more realistic depiction of the library, but from an adult perspective looking back. The soldier remembers those small rituals of the library like the business with the library cards and the way the librarian would forbid him as a child from entering the adult section of the library but then let him enter anyway. Just as Bradbury was so fond of recalling Waukegan, Waukegan has been fond of Ray. There's a park where the ravine is and you can cross the ravine just as Doug Spalding and Lavinia Nebs did. Today The park is named Ray Bradbury Park, and there are information signs telling visitors who Ray was and why he's important to the town. And when that park was dedicated, a simple dedication stone was laid, which paraphrases one of Ray's poems. See, he wrote this poem called Remembrance, which ends with two lines. I remember you. I remember you. Well... Waukegan reflected on Bradbury's memories, and the park has a dedication stone which says simply, Ray Bradbury, we remember you. We remember you. Well, today's guest on Bradbury 100 knows all about Ray Bradbury and Waukegan, She heads up the committee which is planning to open the Ray Bradbury Experience Museum in time for the 100th anniversary of Ray's birth. So let's meet Sandy Petrocious. Joining me today on Bradbury 100 is Sandy Petrocious, the committee chair of the Ray Bradbury Experience Museum in Ray's hometown, Waukegan, Illinois. Sandy, welcome to Bradbury 100.
1: My pleasure, Phil. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Waukegan clearly meant a lot to Ray Bradbury, judging by the number of times he referred to it in his writing. Is it possible to say what Ray means to the people of Waukegan?
1: Ray has simply a very deep impact on the people of Waukegan. There's, as you know, Ray Bradbury in his book, Dandelion Wine, called Waukegan Greentown. And there are places all over Waukegan that are named for him or that he had an impact on Ray Bradbury Park, which is now a national literary landmark. The ravines, uh, St. James Street. Every year there's the Dandelion Wine Festival. Just yesterday, I went to a estate sale near downtown Waukegan. And I picked up a couple. I had gotten word there were a couple of Ray Bradbury signed items there. So I told the the gentleman to save them for me. I ran over and he said, well, it's a good thing you called. Because whenever we have any Bradbury things, they go right away. And in 1996, Ray Bradbury came, as he did often, unannounced to Waukegan. He didn't fly. He would take a train. So if he had some business in Chicago with a publisher or something, then, oh, I think I'll go to Waukegan. And everybody would scramble. And so I went to the library. Fortunately, I got in. And he was doing the signing of Quicker Than the Eye, which was the new release at that time. And, of course, I got it signed. The place was packed. They were turning people away. And the man sat and he did his his presentation for an hour or whatever. And then afterwards, he, white-haired, signed books for two and a half hours till every last person got signed. So the crowds come out for him. After he died, people came. There were many articles in the newspaper. On the other hand, there is a whole newer generation of students and people who do not realize how much Ray Bradbury connects with them and the contemporary thinking. So we at the Ray Bradbury Experience Museum know that we have a fabulous audience just waiting to be engaged in Ray Bradbury.
0: So it sounds as if you're trying to reach not just the existing fans, but you're trying to bring new people in and educate them about Ray.
1: Absolutely. And there's so many on-ramps to Ray Bradbury because he covered so many themes. And that's what keeps on stimulating me and getting me excited about Ray Bradbury because he goes from You know, there's all the NASA people and the space people and the science fiction people and the speculative fiction people and the comics people and the nostalgia people and the stories people and the little bit of horror people. There are so many on-ramps. Also, the multicultural or diversity issues are very much unrealized, and we hope to reveal them. I come from educational publishing, I was an educator, and we're always aware of diversity, and we can show how Ray Bradbury was definitely ahead of his time, especially now in this era of Black Lives Matter and all of that. So the opportunities for interest and engagement in the Ray Bradbury Experience Museum are fulsome, (laughs) rich.
0: When did the idea first arise for the museum?
1: I don't think it was ever not there. Originally, uh, I got involved because my interest at one point was the historic Carnegie Library, which is also called Ray Bradbury's Library, because the setting, he used it for the settings in Something Wicked This Way Comes. He adored libraries. The library fueled all of my curiosities from dinosaurs to ancient Egypt. And I got involved with a group which was probably the third group to restore that library. As my library as a kid, it fueled my imagination as well. And people wanted to preserve the library. They weren't sure what to do with it. And then Ray Bradbury died. And suddenly it came together. This should be a Ray Bradbury museum. And we embraced that idea. And came together for two years to do that, but it became too large of a project for a community group to create a museum, which would cost you know, upwards of $15 million, worthy, though that would be. And one of our benefactors came to us and said, I'll give you this building on 13 North Genesee Street, right in the heart of Ray Bradbury's Greentown, where Ray Bradbury stood and watched the circus parades march by in his heartbeat. The window of this place looks right out at the street. And we said, well, let's put the museum here and start like so many museums, like the Kirk Vonnegut Museum in Indianapolis started in a storefront, let's do that. And that's when it really took off. So that's how the idea started.
0: And in the meantime, the Carnegie Library is is still unoccupied, presumably, and waiting for its time to come.
1: Well, the good news is that the Carnegie Library in Waukegan, I would like to say this last fall, it was announced that the Waukegan Park District has now bought the building from the city for a dollar, but they have plans over the next five years to restore the building as a Waukegan Historical Center, the Historical Society is going to renovate it and it will have a portion dedicated to Ray Bradbury's memory, but it will not be the whole Ray Bradbury Museum. The good news about that is when visitors come to Waukegan, they will have a whole tourist trail of Ray Bradbury They will go to the Ray Bradbury Experience Museum. They will go to visit the display at the Carnegie Library. They will go to the Waukegan Public Library where there are displays inside. And recently this magnificent statue out in front, some people call it a sculpture, by Zachary Oxman. They will go to the Dandelion Wine Festival and Ray Bradbury Park and St. James Street where his boyhood home is. Not to mention local establishments like Greentown Tavern and the Dandelion Gallery. People will have a whole tourist trail to entertain them and enrich themselves with through Ray Bradbury in Waukegan, Greentown.
0: I visited Waukegan, I think, in 2009, and I went to many of those places that you've mentioned. But I, I had to build my own itinerary because there was no sort of established tourist trail as
1: such. Right. Right. And that's what we're working to do is create this Greentown map and Greentown virtual right now. Well, we can talk about that, but the virtual tour, which actually is going on right now. Now uh, the Ray Bradbury experience museum has just received a grant from Illinois humanities for creating a Greentown virtual tour and our documentarian in Los Angeles Michaela Cromoff is head of that project and she's got lots of original Greentown Ray Bradbury footage and we will be, we hope to be putting that out online and our website by August 22nd, the centennial of Ray Bradbury's birthday, 100th year.
0: Excellent, excellent. Now, I, lo- I like the use of the word experience in the title of the museum because it makes it seem as if you really will experience something of Ray's world when you visit. Can you tell us something about what visitors can expect to see?
1: I'd love to. Uh, just to step back a little, we talked a little bit ago about the museum and said, how did that come to pass? Well, what do you think of in a museum? We don't have the artifacts because when Ray Bradbury died, there was no museum, The estate granted, as you know, to Professor Eller at IUPUI, Indiana University, Purdue University at Indianapolis, Ray Bradbury's artifacts and archives, uh, which was very appropriate. So they would be preserved. So what would we put in a museum in Waukegan if we don't have these artifacts? We turned that into a great positive because we said, well, we will make this into an experience museum and we will use virtual reality and augmented reality to engage people in Ray Bradbury's themes, which are so exciting and engage so many different people in what he's doing. So we will have an augmented reality internally projected sphere. We'll have a Mars globe that changes. We'll have an interactive video wall, interactive drop tables, When you go into the Fahrenheit 451 room, you may choose to burn a book, and you may have a digitally controlled flamethrower that will allow you to do that, and a digitally activated hound that was in Fahrenheit 451. But we also want to take people through the process. What does it mean to censor something? What if you went through an if-then process? What are the consequences of censoring? And you know Ray Bradbury in the afterward to Fahrenheit 451, he argued about political correctness as we call it today, and he argued about his feeling was you put it out there, don't squash it. Let the public forum decide what is right or not. But as you do that, you have to go through a somewhat nuanced process of saying, well what happens when I shut down this spokesperson. And when I want, so we're going to take people through that process and hope that new realizations evolve that you could not have. Maybe you can have those in a classroom perhaps, but this will happen through technology and through your own engagement. And maybe you'll come out with some kind of product you can take home. We will also have regular exhibits that are maybe not as interactive, but touch on the historical era such as the McCarthy era, the space era, when when Ray Bradbury really got into, was invited to join NASA and contributed to Disney World. And so many things that people maybe don't realize that he was called upon to be touching. So we're going to have seven main areas, which are, I hope I get them all here because I, I wanted to make sure I touched on them. But the Martian Chronicles area, which talks about future, uh, the Fahrenheit 451 area. And it was very interesting. How do you come up with these museum areas? Well, we gathered people together. We gathered people with backgrounds like Mark Hammergren, who is a Adler planetarium in Chicago, this famous planetarium. His uh, And he's a Ph.D. astronomer. And he's a Bradbury lover. Just happens to be from Waukegan as well. <laughs> He came and joined us, speculative fiction people joined us, of course people from Waukegan like Ty Rohr at the Historical Society who speaks about Ray Bradbury all the time. And we we went into their ideas and they advised us and said, this is the focus, and our exhibit designers went from there. So the Something Wicked area, of course, will focus on magic and darkness and mystery, and the Dandelion Wine area will focus on home and that wonderful front porch in Ray Bradbury's book, Dandelion Wine, which I just read the other day. And uh, the life of Ray Bradbury will be another area, film area with documentaries, very special small area will be inspired by, which means all the people who were inspired by and cited Ray Bradbury as their inspiration, as you see in Sam Weller's biography where Steven Spielberg, Stephen King, Margaret Atwood, Neil Gaiman—so many people credit Ray Bradbury with their inspiration. So that—that's how we'll engage at many levels.
0: It sounds like this is going to take an enormous space. How, how much space do you have?
1: Well, we—we we don't have an enormous space right now, but we do have designs that make this happen. So I'll, if you go on our website, Ray Bradbury Experience Museum. you will see some of those renderings we have for the future museum. And yes, we are raising funds. This is an expensive project, but it's so exciting because it's engaging in the themes and whether you, whether you are a Bray Bradbury fan or not, there's the on-ramp somewhere to his stories. I would love to challenge people. And I've been meaning to try to do this, give me a topic. And I will say that Ray Bradbury touched on it in a very interesting way. Here's one, do you have time for one little story that I just think is terrific? I came across a story where a man in California knocks on the door of a woman and he has the most tender conversation and dialogue with this woman because her son gave a heart to this man. I may have a couple of details wrong, but she looked at him and said, I knew you would come someday. And this, this is about transplants, but it's the human experience of transplant surgery. Nobody's going to talk about this. I know this is personal, but okay, I have one personal story that touched me deeply. Nobody I know has had a transplant, but the dialogue that Ray Bradbury used in that story it's just incredible. And it takes you beyond the transplant to the human feelings behind the story. Nobody would say, oh, Ray Bradbury writes about organ transplants. But there are so many stories that beside the aliens and the Mars and the encounters that he makes people look at each other. Just like this lady and the guy who had her son's heart. Just like the Martian's be whatever shape they look like. They are meeting the earthling. What happens in that encounter? That's what makes it. And We hope to bring people to that encounter.
0: Very good. But I'm sure the pandemic must have disrupted your plans to some extent. So how are you coping with that?
1: Who cannot forget around the week of March 15th? When that week hit and you have your whole calendar of plans... (laughs) And then all of a sudden, you don't have those plans. I still remember that so vividly. And we were all shocked and stalled for a while. And it hit us particularly hard because we were on the cusp of talking to a nice group of donors who were ready to talk to us and to fund and who had recommended funding levels that we should ask for. And that stopped because they stopped. They didn't know the direction they were going in. And let's face it, they had more important emails in their box and meetings to attend to. We understood that. And we understood the initial worries about food shortages and lines of people lining up for food and health concerns. We understood that. But we know that cultural issues, and cultural donations are always ready. That's why we just received this donation to get the Greentown Tour going on. And culture is food of the soul, and we know that we all will go on. So what happened with COVID was we all went home and we worked on our computers. We had as many meetings as we could. We couldn't see right away, just as everybody did when we were in Phase 1 and Phase 2 of this pandemic we were staying home just like everybody else. Schools were shut down. Phil, my daughter-in-law works for a school here where they have students, half the students are from abroad (laughs) and they couldn't go to school. And in some cases they couldn't go home either. But we have continued to work and we are building this case and building our ideas just as strongly. If not, in some ways we're stronger than we were before. Our mission has not retracted. Our mission has progressed. We have every faith that we will continue, and we are. We're adapting within the COVID situation. We're doing virtual things. We're improving our group and our products, and we're still working.
0: Did you have a particular date originally for opening the museum, and has that changed as a result of the pandemic?
1: We always wanted to be open on August 22, 2020, which is the celebration of Ray Bradbury's 100th birthday. He was born 1920 on St. James Street near downtown Waukegan. And we wanted to be open for that celebration. And the actual truth is we will. We are opening not the full museum by any means. In fact, we were planning now to open phase one of the museum, which would be the Martian Chronicles area. We are going to open this COVID-style opening with complete time tickets, social distancing, and no hands-on. The hands-on will be people that are working with us. The other people will not be hands-on. We'll, they will direct the hands-on. We will be having preview exhibits, virtual walkthroughs, original art, virtual reality experiences with a helmet which will be carefully wiped down and Ray Bradbury stories and I think a very interesting Martian visit.
0: <laughs> that sounds intriguing.
1: <laughs> so we are we're going to be publicizing that just as everything has been very, you know, we don't have a lot of lead time because we have been watching the state and what they've been allowing. We will be putting out that announcement this week, and we've made the plans for it.
0: Excellent. I'm really pleased to hear that. Waukegan as a city seems to have had a lot of plans to celebrate Bradbury this year. You've already mentioned the sculpture outside the public library and the annual Dandelion Wine Festival. Are there any other events going on in the city that you know of?
1: The Dandelion Wine Festival happened virtually in June, of course, and we just, of course, we're talking to all of the centennial entities. We've been meeting with the centennial, we call it, Searing Committee, a cooperative group to talk about Ray Bradbury's centennial for about two years. And we are planning together. Ray Bradbury Experience Museum will be open on August 3rd. The mayor will be announcing that Ray Bradbury centennial will come on August 22nd, and Ray Bradbury. Day will be announced that there will be a celebration of Ray Bradbury Day on August 22nd in perpetuity and a dedication of Ray Bradbury's Boyhood Home Street, which is St. James Street. And he will announce this in the city council, which will be online through the Waukegan YouTube channel. So that kind of kicks it off on August 3rd. And then on August 22nd, besides us being open The Waukegan Park District will have a Ray Bradbury virtual tour, their literary tour. They will be instructing people how they can take a physical tour independently. And there will be the restaurants like Greentown Tavern will have themed drinks and themed dinners for their patio. And Dandelion Gallery will be open. And Three Brothers Theater, which was going to have plays, will now be having it online or virtually. And, of course, the Brew Pub, Nightshade and Dark's Brew Pub, uh, will be doing what they always do, which is they always have themed Ray Bradbury drinks and themed movies and uh, Ray Bradbury uh, theater film. The Centennial definitely is not at the level that we had hoped, but we are considering this the kickoff for a Ray Bradbury centennial year going forward into 2021. We're planning something for October because that's Halloween which is Ray Bradbury's Halloween tree and his fondness for Halloween will be another celebration at that time and then throughout 2021 we are continuing to focus on Ray Bradbury and education about him And the community is coming forward to participate in a really genuine way.
0: It's really good to know that um, the pandemic cannot crush the spirit of Waukegan. Sandy, I presume you wouldn't be doing all this if you weren't already a Bradbury fan. Can you remember when you first ever read Ray Bradbury?
1: Well, I have to say that when I was a kid, I did not read Ray Bradbury. I was into things that Ray Bradbury liked, like Dickens, And a lot of that. But when I got into, well, my my sister-in-law, who filmed Ray Bradbury at Ray Bradbury Park, uh, when they dedicated it as Ray Bradbury Park in 1990, said, well, I read dandelion wine every summer. So I started reading dandelion wine. And I really got into this, as I said before, because of feeling that the Carnegie Library should be preserved. And then, as I moved into reading about all of Ray Bradbury as much as I could, I got more and more excited about him as a writer and as a thinker and as a man of principle. And I failed to mention just a little while ago one of the things that came to mind to me as we were exhibiting for our Ray Bradbury Experience Museum, RBEM, at places like the Dandelion Wine Festival people kept coming up to me and telling me stories about their meeting with Ray Bradbury. And I said, oh my gosh, we got to get this on film. These people aren't going to be around forever. And that's how the, I met Ray videos were born. Uh, We have 25 documented Ray short pieces on people who met or were influenced by Ray Bradbury, and we're going to be putting them on the website very soon. We publish them on our Facebook, and they are, that's one of the things about the Ray Bradbury Experience Museum in Waukegan, is the authenticity of dislocation. Nobody else can claim that. Yes, he was in Hollywood. Yes, Mars has a crater named for him. Yes, there's a place on the moon named for him, but Waukegan is where his feet walked and where his imagination was inflamed. And these people are telling their stories and they're so moving and they're so fascinating that we're so excited to have collected them. And one person already has passed away, his childhood friend, Bunny Foley, and we got her before she passed away. So these I met. We call them I met Ray. I'm very grateful to our videographer Michaela Kramov who filmed them, and to other people like Joanne Rompella who coordinated this. And we have so many volunteers who are doing so much work for this project. They need to be honored, and someday I know they will. But they'll be honored through these products that they're making.
0: One of the regular questions I ask on this podcast of everyone I've interviewed is if I were to maroon you on a desert island and let you have just one Ray Bradbury item to occupy your time, what would you choose?
1: Well, I'm going to cheat. And I am not going to choose the mummies of Guanajuato, which, although they are fascinating, and Ray Bradbury had this love for uh, Mexico. And he uh, talks about this in the story he wrote... In the mummies of Guanajuato. And I know that I grew up in Waukegan, and when I read Dandelion Wine, I know the places he's talking about. When he goes by Glen Rock and he goes by St. James and those front porches, I know them. So you would say, well, Dandelion Wine would be her favorite. But I would cheat and I would grab this because it's this thick and it's all his stories. And I can keep uh, delving into them, even though it probably doesn't have the most uh, recent like that I really enjoyed. Let's all kill Constance. He he, he just keeps revealing himself to me. So uh, I would take Bradbury stories. This humongous, humongous one here.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And on the cover, it says 100 of his most celebrated tales. So that will keep you busy.
1: Right. And you can keep going back to them and finding new things. And that's really what I discover about him. Sure.
0: I'm sure some of our listeners would be very interested in supporting RBEM either by making a donation or by visiting. Where can they find more information about it?
1: We would love for you to visit our website, which is raybradburyexperiencemuseum.org. And through that, if you go to donate, you can donate there. And you can contact us for more information, or if you have something you want to share or a story you have, please contact us through raybradburyexperiencemuseum.org contact or slash donate. You can also find us on Facebook, Ray Bradbury Experience Museum, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And I probably have missed one, but those pretty much cover it.
0: Sandy, good luck with the Ray Bradbury Experience Museum and many thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Phil. It's been such a pleasure.
0: My thanks to Sandy Petrocious for joining me today. I'll be sure to put some links to the Ray Bradbury Experience Museum on my website, which is bradburymedia.co.uk. And please join me next week for another episode of Bradbury 100. Bye for now. Bradbury 100 is presented and produced by Phil Nichols in collaboration with the Centre for Ray Bradbury Studies. Music is provided by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. Please subscribe to the podcast using your podcast app. You can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and all good podcast places. And you can find us on Facebook too. For more information, head to bradburymedia.co.uk Don't forget to check out my other podcast, Science Fiction 101, at 101sf.blogspot.com, and head over to YouTube, to find my Bradbury 101 series, in which I look at Ray's books and movies.